Hi, and welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason, and I am here with my wife, Natasha Mason. Hi. She's over there, and she's laughing at me for being silly. Uh, we are back again. This is episode, and I always say that, this is episode number eight, I suppose, in our uh, quest to uh, educate the masses. Is that what we're trying to do? I assume so. I think what we, we've tried to do in the past on the podcast, if you've listened to previous episodes, is to be um, a little more educational, give you some idea, background of uh, what's going on within the church and how we kind of see things. Uh, but more than anything, we just want this to be a real organic conversation between the two of us and you, the listener, to, um, it doesn't have to be so, uh, and I don't want to use the word, but it doesn't have to be so preachy. I don't want it to be preachy at you as in, um, we're coming off saying these are how you have to live and this is what you have to do. And, um, that any of these ideas or things or concepts that we talk about are what God requires of us, because that is honestly a conversation between you and God. Correct. This is just our interpretation right. of how we feel about things right and it's just a conversation between me and my wife we oftentimes um she sits around and listens to me pontificate um to no end (laughs) about some of the things in life that aggravate me and some of the things i see in the uh the body of christ that aggravates me and um the world in general and the things that aggravate and we and we talk about that stuff how does it affect us and what is it what is my reaction to the way i see other christians uh behaving or living or, or the world itself um, I think uh, more importantly, uh, with a lot of the things we're talking about is the uh, what, what is our degree of separation from the world? Right. Um, I don't think there is a clear distinction sometimes between the body of Christ and the world. I think it is, a, it's, especially in our age, I think it's really convoluted. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, you know, you remember back when the preachers were reverends. When everybody in the town would come out and be like, oh, there's the reverend, you know, people wouldn't, you don't cuss, that's the reverend, don't you say that, that's the reverend, you don't talk like that, that's the reverend. Um, so people had a reverence for God and for the men of God and the people who claimed to be believers. And They at least modified their behavior around them. They did. And unfortunately, they don't do it anymore because we don't expect it because things that we once considered holy to God um, I don't want to say they're not holy anymore, but I don't think the importance, the the fear of God is definitely gone. Uh, I think mm. the uh, the attitude and reverence comes from having respect, right? That's generally what that comes from. So I think the reason that a lot of people don't have reverence for the reverend is because they don't have a respect or a fear of God. They have no reverence for God. So we live in a world that has made God our buddy. Uh, we've made him our friend. We've uh, oversimplified our relationship with him through his son. Um, I mean, even our everything goes down to our music and our theology is really a um, a bubblegum type of. Mm. It's a bubblegum Christianity, um, especially in America. People aren't dying for what they believe. Somebody has to uh, you know get sued over making a cake, right? I mean, that's that's the worst thing that Christians go through here. Um, we, we, we don't get our way. The 10 commandments don't get put up in public settings and that bends us out of shape. And, you know, I mean, there's just all kinds of different little things that we look at as persecution, but we, we tend to forget that people, um, were murdered, killed, burned at the stake. They were hung, they were beheaded, they were crucified early. A lot of the early Christians were crucified, uh, as a, as a mockery for what they believed. Um, so, you know, those people actually paid a price, a real heavy price physically um, because of belief. And I don't think in America that's something that we even we don't have to we deal just with feel far removed from it. Right. And so, you know, I think we, we, we come to a place where we're really comfortable. 
um, we're not discomforted as long as we have our, um, we have what we consider to be the needs of life. As long as we have money and we have food and we have a place to live. Um, I think the majority of Christians are just, we're happy. We're, we're, we're okay. You know? And so happy I don't be mediocre. Yeah. But it, it, we don't go out of our way. You know, one of the things I, I often talk about and, um, I think is really important if you're a, if you're in ministry, right? If you're a pastor or a preacher or something like that. One of the things I would consistently encourage them to do is remember that your um, your church goers, your patrons, whatever you want to call them, your your church members. Um, one of the things to remember is that they all have lives and they all have jobs and they all have families and they're trying to get it. They're trying to get by. They're trying to live. They're trying to survive. Um, and so many times, I think I, I really do feel like uh, we sell ourselves short when it comes to our relationship with God. But on the other side of that, I also have to, you have to understand that there are people out there who are just doing the bare minimum to get, they're just doing what they can to get by. And I think, you know, beating people over the head with, well, you're not here enough. You're not giving enough. You're not doing enough. I get that. I understand that completely. But at the same time, um, if you've got a large family and, and they're both working, um, I think we're pointing the finger at the wrong person. And we're saying, hey, you people aren't faithful enough and you people don't trust God enough and you people don't, you know, you're not here enough. When I think in reality, we forget that the world has created this system that we got to work seven days a week now. The Internet, I work in the e-commerce business and we're 24-7. I mean, it is it doesn't stop. It keeps going. It's this money machine that is making people keep working. There is no shutting down on Sundays like it used to be. No, there's no everybody remembers, you know, if you're old enough, you remember the, the blue law days and the days when you couldn't. Uh, you couldn't do a lot of, you couldn't mow on Sunday. You couldn't work on Sunday. You couldn't do a lot of things on what people considered to be God's day, which was Sunday at the time. Um, and so they didn't, and people were going to church and people were, I don't know if people were happier, but I think they were more, they should. Exactly. But now we live in a society and we live in this global economy where you are, you're nonstop. You have access to nearly everything 24 hours a day, seven days. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you know, I, I remember somebody told me a long time ago that grocery stores in town used to, uh, one would, they would all designate who was going to stay open on a Sunday. And that's the one, if you wanted something on a Sunday, you needed something, that's where you had to go because the rest of them were going to be closed. And now, you know, honestly think that a lot of places, if they could make you work on the eighth day, they would. If there was an eighth day of the week, they'd be happy to make you work it and only pay you for seven. Cause, um, but the reality is, is that we go back to some of our previous podcasts and what we talk about, how the Bible looks at the world. And it considers the world to be Egypt, right? It's the, mm-hmm. that's the that's the way we look at the world all the way through the end of the age, all the way through the end of the scriptures. Um, and so you have to look back at when the the Hebrews were in Egypt. What were they doing? They were what were slaves. they? They were slaves. They were not free men. They didn't do what they wanted to. They didn't worship the God they wanted to. They were slaves to Egypt. And uh, I guarantee you, they worked a lot of Sabbaths. Nobody wants to talk about that, but I guarantee you, they worked a lot of Sabbaths. They probably, uh, if they got a day off of work. Which yeah, I doubt if the Egyptians really respected no, that much. they didn't care. They, you know, if there was any day they were probably going to make them not do anything, it was probably a, a day of sun worship or something like that where they were worshiping Ra or whatever their god was at the time. Um, On but, Sunday? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good possibility. But the point there is, is that we live in a world that is modeled after, and this is one thing that you learn as a believer. If you're new in the faith, if you're um, uh, a baby in in belief, uh, the Bible calls it people who are still on milk, right? Because babies are on milk. But if you're still at that level, you're going to understand eventually that the world itself um, that we live in is is modeled after uh, Egypt. And so we're all serving somebody. I heard somebody the other day say, 
um, well, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in religion because I'm not going to have anybody control my life. And I laughed and I said, really? That's why you pay your taxes because somebody tells you to and you go a certain speed limit because somebody tells you to and you don't steal from a grocery store because somebody tells you to. If you think that you have freedom, and we do have freedoms in this country, but we are all still controlled by somebody. Yeah, don't get it twisted to think that you're in Absolutely control of not. what You're not you going to call your landlord up and tell them, well, I'm just living here for free. It's not going to work. Everybody in every facet in this country is paying uh, the homeless guy on the street. I mean, you could say, well, that homeless guy is not answering to anybody. Okay, let him go lay on a certain park bench and see if he doesn't get moved. Let him go sit in a grocery store too long and see if he doesn't get ran off. Everybody is answering to somebody. And it goes to every facet of life. And when it comes down to it, the true freedom that the scripture talks about is this freedom from sin to where we're not we're not slaves to it anymore. We're not bound to this world. We're not bound to its system. Yeah, we live here. We pay bills. We pay taxes. We do everything else that everybody has to do. But at the same time, we understand who is really controlling all this and who is controlling my life. And when I put my trust and my faith and my hope in him, then those things don't offend me as much as they used to. The Bible says, um, you know, it talks about those that love God won't be offended. And I think so many times I see Christians, it, it blows my mind. Somebody will post something on Facebook and it's just next thing you know, this whole group of Christians is just, oh, we're offended by it. And I'm like, why are you offended? Where do you live? You live in Egypt. You should know that. Would you be offended if you're a slave and they come around and beat you with a whip? You know that is how they are, right? So why are we offended by that? That doesn't mean you can't stand for your principles, but it means you should understand that this is not your home. Egypt was not their home. They were stuck there for a couple hundred years. But it was not their home because when they were when they left and they were taken out, what were they looking for? A promised land. They were looking for the promised land. Well, God, you have promised us this place you're going to let us get to. This is our home. Egypt, that was not our home. We don't want to go back there. There were some folks who wanted to go back there after they left, and we know what happened to them. Um, they built a golden calf, and when Moses came off the mountain, he separated them. And those who uh, stood with Egypt and wanted to go back were destroyed, and those who stood with God were were moving on through the promised land. Um, but I think that's, you know, when I look at the Christians in the world today and I look at, uh, how we're serving God and how it seems to be so emotionally driven, it seems to be, uh, I think it lacks a lot of content, a lot of, um, deep content that we need to have in our lives, uh, understanding of where we're at with the father. Um, you know, oftentimes I can seem some, I seem so judgmental, I think sometimes, but I remind myself consistently, we are in Egypt. This is where we're at. Um, there are verses in the Old Testament where God said he didn't want the, the very name of other gods to come across their lips. That's how jealous he was. He didn't want them talking about um, Ra, the sun god of Egypt. You don't say his name. I am God. I am the Holy One. You reverence me. You don't even talk about them. But if you look at our society now, every day of the week is named after a pagan god. Every month of the year is named after a pagan god. We're in Egypt. We can't get around those things. You know, we, we want to, it would be nice if we could set, go back to just a number system where it's the 23rd day of the month or the 24th day of the month. I'll meet you on the 25th day of the month, you know, but we don't say that anymore. And so it makes it very difficult, um, as believers living in this world. But I think once we wrap our mind around, we're in Egypt and other believers are doing what they can to survive. And we are waiting on Messiah to come and, and call us out and get us out of here. Um, I think it, it it opens our eyes a little bit more to have compassion for other people, which I think tends to to be missing. Um, I think you have the ultra religious people um, who are they're doing for God or their their work and their jobs are for God, and that's their function and focus in life. 
And I think sometimes there's that passion there that they want to serve the Lord. They want everybody to serve the Lord. I told my mother one time, I said, I really wish everybody had a passion for God like I feel like I do. And I think, you know, I told, it's just so hard for me to express sometimes how I feel and what I want to do for the Lord and then my own personal limitations. And then I have to remind myself that not everybody has that passion. Not every, not everybody's going to have that burning desire. So to hold anyone else to my own personal standard is a little bit on the, uh, on the goofy side. I really can't expect everybody to be where I'm at. Um, I want to help people come, you know, grow in the faith and come up on those levels. But at the same time, um, I think that the Bible even says it, and I've told you many times that there's, the, there's now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That is a verse. That is a quote from the scripture. There's now no, there's now no for condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Um, so why do we condemn each other? You know, why do we put each other down? Why do we say that you're failing? Because it makes us feel good about it ourselves. It does. It makes us feel less like we're doing wrong when we can point at others. Yeah. Exactly. It makes us feel like we're accomplishing more. And I think um, if there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, then I have no right to add to that. So if somebody is not serving God in the way that I think they should, I really shouldn't be saying, hey, brother, so-and-so, you're failing. You aren't here. You know, you're not you're not standing up for what you believe. You know, how do I even know? I, I think back on some of the, the most uh, influential people in my life that I think about as far as Christians go have been the people who have lived and died, and then I found out and heard what they what they did in their own time. You know, like uh, I've heard there were certain people I knew. Uh, one gentleman years ago passed away, and I had no clue. And somebody said, "Yeah, he sat in his house and read the Bible all the time. He just he loved the Scripture so much, and he, that's what he would do when his kids walked by. They saw him sitting there reading the Scripture. He prayed, and he you know he interceded for believers around. I had no clue about that. I didn't know that. But as from the outside, I could have looked at him and said, "No, he's not doing anything." What you know. <clears throat> You know, they say people, integrity is what you do when no one's watching you. Same thing with this. It's really what you're doing in your own private time. Right. But you don't need to go around with a bullhorn and shouting everything that you're doing. Well, and that, you God know. God sees you. Right. It's the old, uh, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, the Bible says that those that uh, God, those that pray in private and in secret, God will reward them openly. And what that the whole concept there is, is that if these people are doing things for the Lord and they're not taking the praise for it, right? We don't steal praise from God. We should never do that. There are people who do every single day. There are people on TV. There are people, you hear them everywhere. Um, they're boasting about what they have done for God. And so what God is saying is if you will praise me in your private life and you will praise me in those quiet moments and you will lift me up, if you will do my work, right? Our faith is evident by our works. If you will praise me by your work and you'll do it without broadcasting it to everybody, then he says, I'm going to profit you. I'm going to benefit you. I'm going to reward you openly in front of other people. I'll make you successful. I'll make you whatever, you know, whatever God wants us to be. And, and all those things, those rewards, the profiting, the success, I'm not talking monetarily. I think a lot of people get the gospel confused. And this is a good, good opportunity to talk about that is the gospel. What is the gospel? It's not money. It's not the things that we own. The gospel is. Uh, defined as Christ being the sacrifice dying upon the cross. Um, if people have heard this message of the gospel as Christians, that's what our goal is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what's called the Great Commission. So that is our directive to go out and to witness and minister to the world. So a lot of people get that confused as to what is the gospel. 
Um, there's some groups out there that want you to uh, believe that you have to belong to their organization or their group in order to um, be saved or to go to heaven or not to be destroyed or be in the kingdom or whatever it is. Um, there are also some leaders out there who believe you have to be a part of their sect or their cult and that you have to do what they say in order into to get into the kingdom of heaven and destroy the end of the world or avoid the destruction of the end of the world, stuff like that. So those things are not the gospel. If you're not quite sure what the gospel is, we'll define it for you real quick. So in case you've never heard it, the gospel is that God had offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. We know this is, uh, everybody knows him as Jesus. He's That is the um, anglicized English-Greek word we use for his name. Um, in Hebrew, his uh, the earliest names called him Yahashua, um, which was earlier later translated to Yeshua. Um, he was a Jewish man. He was the living son of God. He was the word of God made manifest in the flesh. Um, and he was a, a representation of a blood sacrifice. So everything goes back. We talk about Egypt and we talk about um, uh, the Passover and all the things that came out of Egypt. And one of the things that had to uh, happen in order for the death angel to pass over the homes of the Hebrews was that there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a blood offering that had to be put on their homes, on their doorways, so that the death angel would pass over their house. If they did not do this, then they were subject to the same curse that the Egyptians were, which was the loss of the firstborn son. So um, there had to be an animal sacrifice made. And the Bible told them it was to be a, a, a lamb that was without spot and without blemish. Um, so it had to be considered by God to be a pure sacrifice. Um, so we know that Christ, in the same way, in the same typology and pictures, is the same. The scripture says he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God had already had this idea in his mind that this is my son, my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, is what God had said. And he was seen as the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Um, the main point here to the gospel is that Christ was the sacrifice, the offering of God for sins. Um, under the law, we were required to pay a penalty for breaking the law. So if someone stole or someone, whatever the penalty was for each sin, if you, you stole your hand cut off or um, whatever the sin was, there was an appropriate law that went along with appropriate punishment that went along with that. But it also led to the law bringing us death because that was the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's what the scripture says. But then it says that it, the, but the gift of, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, Yeshua HaMashiach. He is uh, Yeshua the Messiah. He is the gift of God. He is the Lamb of God who was slain. And the way God saw him was that he was this sacrifice. He was going to be the, in the Old Testament, they, they had to offer up a sacrifice for their sins. There had to be something that paid, um, that stood in their place. Um, they, we, we call it, uh, commuting sins. You've heard that maybe the, the, have you heard the term commuting sins before where they commute them onto an animal? They would put their hand on the forehead and then commute their sins to that animal before it died so that their sins would be covered by that animal's blood. So there was a, uh, that that was part of the process. And so uh, the gospel is that Christ came and was born in flesh. He was the, the son of God, God himself in the flesh, and it came and was sacrificed and was crucified for the sins of all mankind because only the blood of God would be able to wash away the sins of the world. That's just how it worked. There was nothing else in, in the God's plan that was ever going to be able to rid us of sin. Um, so now you might say, well, we still live in a, a body that is, that has sin in it. And that is absolutely true. But the scripture goes on to tell us that we are uh, working unto perfection, that we, we have the ability. And I think this is something I argued with somebody a long time ago, but we have the ability to not sin. Um, and, uh, you know, this guy asked me, he said, do you think you could not sin for a whole day? And I said, man, that's a rough question. Cause 
according to the scriptures, we're supposed to be able to have that ability to where we can live our lives apart from sin. And I think the problem is, is that we don't stay dedicated enough to it. We're not dedicated enough to guarding our thoughts or watching our words or watching our actions. Um, but Christ came and he was the sacrifice for that. So now when we break the law of God, there has already been a punishment. There's already been a sacrifice made. There's already been the blood shed for that, that breaking of the law of the sin. So, you know, we go back to Paul where he said, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. And that's the honest question. Should we continue to sin so that God's grace and mercy toward us, which is Christ being sacrificed? Um, sh- should we do that so that we abuse that? And so that we use, cause the Bible talks about, you know, some of us crucify Christ fresh anew every day. And, and basically what he's saying there is that you're taking advantage of my grace because you are, you're walking in your sin, you're living in your sin, you're allowing sin to reign in your life. You're one of my children, but you have this sin problem. And so you're just throwing up the fact that my son was crucified every time you sin. It's, it's almost like you're just throwing it up in my face. You're crucifying him new every day. Um, and then that's the honest truth. I think that's, that's where we're at. But the gospel is that God had made a way to fix the gap that was between man and, uh, man and God. The Bible says that sin was a gap that was between the two of us and that his son became the propitiation. He became the payment. He became the stand in. He became the bridge, um, for us to get to the father. And so that's, that's what the basic simple truth of the gospel is. Now, some of the perversions of the gospel have been that we need to pray to the saints or that we need Mary to stand in our place or that we even ask Mary for something or that we, uh, it's one of the, one of the groups out there uses the word, um, for communion, they would call it the sacraments, right? They, they believe that that's a holy word, which is, doesn't even exist in the Bible, but they'll say it's the sacraments. And if you're not taking the sacraments on a regular basis, then you're not going to go to heaven. And there are some groups out there who believe that when you eat the wafer and you drink the, the grape juice or wine or whatever, that, uh, it turns into the body of Christ inside of you. And then the, the wine turns into the blood of Christ inside of you. Um, but those things are, are not necessary. The scripture has said that there is a sacrifice that's been made once and for all sin. There's one, there's only been one sacrifice that, that has covered all sin of all mankind. And you cannot go to heaven unless you have been washed in the blood of Yeshua. It's that simple. We're not, there's nothing you can do. There's no good work that you can do. Your, your self-righteousness will not get you there. Um, I think we were talking earlier this week about the, uh, holiday of Lent. Me and my wife had discussed this because I was a bit, I'm a bit disturbed by some of these churches and groups that are going back to this Catholic idea of of observing Lent. Um, and the whole idea of Lent is that I forsake something in this life to make myself, uh, pure when Easter comes so that I'm pure when I, when Easter rolls around so I can be closer to God, which is, um, a total heresy to the scripture because the scripture says there's nothing you can do in yourself to make yourself righteous. There's no act or there's no work or there's even the Torah, which I'm a, I'm a huge, you know, if you've listened, you know, I like the Torah. I'm a big supporter of Torah. Um, but even the Torah does not count to make me righteous following the, uh, any of the, the laws of the Torah don't make me righteous. They're not going to make me clean in the presence of God. The only thing that makes me clean in the presence of God is the shed blood of Yeshua. So Lent is, is almost, I understand if you were to say, um, at Passover, we do a thing where we uh, get all the leaven out of the house. You know, we did this last year. Gives a good opportunity to clean the house. We'll do it again this year. 
So um, in the scripture, leaven is akin to sin, right? It says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Um, and you often, we often hear this in our modern world as one bad apple spoils the bunch, right? So that's where they get the idea from is that one, uh, this one little bit can ruin everything. And so that's the way the Bible looks at sin. And it uses that example, that leaven, that one little piece of sin in your life can ruin everything. And that's honest truth. Um, it doesn't take much. One little sin can ruin a lot of things. Um, so when we look at that and we look at that example of, of leaven, um, you know, we look at Lent and these things, we, we believe we want to tell ourselves that we can remove something from our life and it's going to make us more righteous or more closer to God, which is, or we can, uh, we can deny ourselves a pleasure because that's a big part of Lent is that, well, I'm going to give up smoking or I'm going to give up, uh, I'm going to give up drinking or I'm going to give up eating Facebook. Yeah. I'm going to give up Facebook. Some people give up eating fish. That's one of the big things. Oh, not going to eat fish. I'm going to not going to eat chicken. You know, we're going to forsake something in this world to try and make ourselves more righteous in the eyes of God. And the simple fact of the matter is you cannot forsake anything in this world to make yourself more righteous in the eyes of God. Now, we can forsake sin, right? The Bible tells it, but that is because it's a command. We're not supposed to sin. It's not something that's going to make us more righteous in the eyes of God. If we don't, it is a command of obedience. It's us obeying God and saying, I don't want to sin. Because God has said not to do it. Because he said, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. It's The desire is different. The desire is about Christ making me righteous versus me making myself righteous. Because when I do that, self-righteousness, when I do that, then I claim the glory for making myself better. If that, if that's on, you understand that? I mean, uh, Ooh, I didn't eat chocolate for a whole month. Look at me. Yeah. It's great. There are some, even some, even some doctrines and religions go as far as to believe we're going to forsake things in this world for our family in the afterlife so that they can have something, you know? Um, it, there's some cultures where they'll go and they'll put things on their graves and tombstones and I'm going to leave this, this uh, piece of watch for grandma or I'm going to leave these two gold coins for grandma so that, um, she can have a better life, uh, you know, in the afterlife. And, and it, it sounds, it sounds crazy because, but I understand it's their culture, but it's not biblical. You know, um, I think back when I was a kid, we used to live out in Arizona. We were, um, had some friends who were on a Navajo Indian reservation there and they had a mountain up, uh, out on the reservation and on the side of the mountain, there was a cave in the mountain while the Indians would go up there. I say native Americans, Indians, whatever you want to call them. They would go up there and they would, um, leave little watches and gold and, and coins and change and money. They would leave it in this temp, this, this cave for their ancestors. It was a sacrifice to the ancestors. And if it disappeared, if they took it, if, if it was gone, then they knew it was a good thing and the ancestors took it. So they would go up there and leave that stuff. And then the local, um, uh, I won't call him out, but the local mission would go up there and clean that thing out every, every so often. And so when the, when the, the, the Navajos would go up there. There would be nothing in the cave. And here they are thinking, oh, wow, I'm, you know, my ancestors accepted these things and it was somebody else taking it and it didn't do any good. It did you no good. It did their, it did their ancestors no good. Um, it was, it's a real, it's, it's a sad thing to think that people are controlled like that, that we want to believe. Everybody wants to believe they have a control over their own destiny, that we control where we go and what we do. And the simple fact that the truth is we don't, we, we never do not in this world that we live in now and not in the afterlife. The only, uh, the only, real person who has control over us is God in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, that is the only thing that's going to determine the outcome of where we go in this life. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, the gospel is, is not complicated. It's just 
responding to it. I believe that God gives everybody the opportunity. The Bible says that God calls whom he will. And I believe that God gives every, I personally believe God gives everybody the opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear the truth and to respond to salvation. And whether they respond or not, you know, that's going to be up to you. Um, and up to me. Um, but the real question is always, what do you do after you have that? You know, the abnormal Christian life that we're talking about is uh, we should be beyond that. We should be beyond the, I've got salvation now and I'm going to sing the hymns and I'm going to bring everybody else to church with me every Sunday and that's it. You know, we should be beyond that to the point that we're going and making disciples of other and saying, and saying, um, this is what we want. This is how we want to walk after. This is how we want to follow Messiah. This is, you know, if it was good enough for Jesus, right? If it was good enough for him, it should be good enough for me. And, uh, a lot of times I think we're, we miss that mark some, you know, we, we don't see it that way. So that's just a little bit of that. Um, we're going to get into probably in the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit of Passover. Um, one of the things I do want to mention is, uh, if you get a little bit of chance, study, go look up, uh, if you want to do a little research on your own, Look up Ezekiel chapter 8 and read Ezekiel chapter 8. Um, there's some mention there of Tammuz. Uh, we talked about that too as well this week, um, who was a pagan god in Babylon. He was the gods of the shepherds. He was the god of the shepherds. He went into the underworld. Uh, there's this whole, there's a whole story with Tammuz, but the real important thing there is, is his effect into, uh, Mithraism, which is sun worship and the early church under Constantine. Um, Tammuz and Ishtar and some of these other, uh, false idols and false gods were very prominent, um, in Constantine's melding of, uh, Mithraism, sun worship and Christianity. Um, if you listen to some of the previous episodes, you'll hear that we talked about some of that, how Constantine didn't want to keep killing Christians. He needed a solution to the problem. And so he took and just kind of mushed some things together. Um, you can study on holidays and other things like that, such as Easter, Christmas, Christian, what we call Christian holidays. Look those up. And you'll get a little more information on what goes on behind those. And we will get into that on some of the next future podcasts. So for now, I have been Brad Mason and... Natasha. That's my wife, Natasha, and we appreciate you listening. I want to thank everybody who is listening to the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Please share it and uh, promote it among your friends. If you know some other Christians who might be interested, um, and just in general conversations that we have, let them know we are on Facebook and Twitter. Um, again, if you want a, a comment or uh, you want a you know a subject for us to discuss, please post that as well. Uh, we will be looking for some help in that area because we're always looking for something to talk about. So uh, we appreciate you, and we just pray that God will bless you all. Uh, goodbye. Bye.